0: the most powerful nation in the world, and it's not China. An annual report is ranking countries by their might in the Indo-Pacific, and the United States has been deemed the winner. Beijing narrowly keeping its grip on second place, while one of America's biggest allies in the region snagged third place. As the globe's focus shifts to the Indo-Pacific, what does this latest report tell us about the future? Will the U.S. maintain its lead, or will China close the gap? Welcome to China in Focus, I'm Tiffany Meyer. An annual report is ranking the most powerful countries in the Indo-Pacific. It says the U.S. still leads the pack while China is losing its grip. It's called the Asia Power Index, released annually by foreign policy think tank, the Lowy Institute. Washington comes in at first place for 2022 with the report citing its strong military capabilities, defense networks and cultural influence on the region. Looking at second place, Beijing had been gaining ground since 2018, helped by its status as the largest trading partner for most of the region's countries. But that economic power saw huge setbacks once the pandemic broke out, driven by a strict zero COVID-19 policy. Further down the list, Japan takes third place, having strengthened its military power within the last year. But the nation still suffered setbacks linked to its weak GDP growth and aging workforce. Next in line are India, Russia, Australia, South Korea, Singapore and Indonesia. Jumping down to sixth place, Australia is one of the few nations that held its ground for the year, receiving a score similar to its power level before the pandemic hit. The report cites advantages like a relatively strong economy and strategic geography. Back to the top of the list, the U.S. is pushing to expand its influence in the Indo-Pacific. Just last week, it signed a deal to secure military access to four more bases in the Philippines. China, once America's largest trading partner, is losing that seat. The year 2022 saw China step aside as top U.S. trade partner, the first time since the trade war in 2019. According to import data from the Commerce Department, U.S. purchases from China have dropped below sales from the European Union. What drove the change? The main reasons include Beijing's harsh zero-COVID-19 policy and Washington's choice to broaden supply chains, especially with other Asian countries. But 2022's data tells us even more. Washington's bilateral goods trade with China reached $690 billion, marking a new record. This indicating that economic decoupling from China hasn't yet fallen into place. U.S. trade with the rest of the world also hit all-time highs last year, thanks to a strong dollar and rising domestic demand. U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says there will be a classified briefing for all senators on Thursday. They will discuss the Chinese spy balloon that flew across the country last week and was shot down over the weekend.
1: So we need Democrats and Republicans to come together. We need the country to come together to condemn China for what it did and have a unified front in dealing with the Chinese Communist Party. Our military and our surveillance NSA didn't know about them till last year. Three of them went over when Trump was there, but you can't blame Trump because he didn't know of them, they didn't know of them then. We're just learning of them.
0: On Monday, a Pentagon general said three other suspected Chinese spy balloons previously flew over the US under the Trump administration, but they weren't detected because of a, quote, domain awareness gap. NTD's Arlene Richards reports.
2: After a U.S. Air Force jet shot down a suspected Chinese spy balloon on Saturday, Republican lawmakers criticized President Biden for not shooting it down before it traveled across the U.S., saying it showed a sign of weakness. But on Monday, Pentagon General Glenn Van Herk, the commander responsible for providing air and missile defense, said three Chinese spy balloons came into U.S. airspace during the Trump White House, but they were undetected. He said during an off-camera briefing that his command didn't detect balloon threats under the Trump administration due to a, quote, domain awareness gap. He declined to go into further detail. A senior administration official told CNN on Sunday that the three balloons were detected after former President Trump left office. Trump responded on Truth Social. He said no balloons from China flew over the United States in any way, shape or form while I was president. If they did, we would have shot them down immediately. Trump's former national security advisor said on Monday he was stunned by what the Biden administration is saying.
0: One official told Fox News that the balloons went undetected, undetected, and then said two things can be true at once. This happened and it wasn't detected. Well, if it wasn't detected when it happened, how did we detect it more recently? Did the Biden administration invent a time machine?
2: He said several Trump officials have said they didn't know anything about it. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said Biden told the intelligence community to increase efforts to detect Chinese spying. Arlene Richards, NTD News.
0: Tensions between Washington and Beijing have soared since the balloon's appearance. And now, a new factor could signal more incidents to come. Dozens of Chinese documents have surfaced, pointing to surging interest in using balloon technology for military purposes. Beijing's foreign ministry says the balloon was used for scientific purposes and simply blew off course. But publicly available papers reveal a recent argument from Chinese military researchers. They say the balloon should be further developed and deployed in specific missions. In one document from last April, they point out one of the craft's military applications, the ability to test enemy air defenses. Here's how. The balloon's presence will draw a response from the enemy's defense system. Then instruments can assess that system's early warning detection and response capabilities. That paper and several others also signaled Chinese interest in how the U.S. and other nations used military balloons in the past and how China could close that technology gap. The Washington Post reported that Chinese surveillance balloons have operated for several years off China's southern coast. They collect information on military assets in countries of strategic interest to China. Those include Japan, India, Vietnam, Taiwan and the Philippines. Those details come from several U.S. officials. They spoke on condition of anonymity because of the matter's sensitivity. Authorities said these surveillance airships have been spotted over five continents. Just days after the U.S. military downed the alleged Chinese spy balloon, what's President Joe Biden's stance toward Beijing? He delivered the State of the Union address on Tuesday. Here's what he had to say. I'm committed to work with China where we can advance American interests and benefit the world, but make no
1: mistake about it. As we made clear last week, if China threatens our sovereignty, we will act to protect our country, and we did.
3: The president took a defiant stance against Beijing on Tuesday. His remark referred to the moment when a U.S. jet fired a missile at the alleged Chinese spy balloon on Saturday warning Beijing against violating U.S. sovereignty. Let's be
1: clear, winning the competition should unite all of us. We face serious challenges across the world.
3: That's in what Biden termed as America's competition, not conflict with China. The same term came out of his meeting with Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping last year on the sidelines of the G20 meeting in Indonesia.
1: But I will make no apologies that we're investing in to make America stronger. Investing in American innovation and industries will define the future that China intends to be dominating.
3: Then, Biden specifically named Xi in an ad-libbed addition to his speech, seemingly to imply few would want to be in the communist nation's position.
1: Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one, name me one. The
3: remark comes as she faces off against China's COVID-19 outbreak, a sluggish economy, and widespread criticism of his once-touted antivirus policy.
2: On Wednesday,
3: Beijing responded by saying it wouldn't allow Washington to smear it in the name of competition. Speaker, Responding to Biden's State of the United Union, States. Arkansas's governor said she didn't believe quote, much of anything she heard from him.
0: The president's refusal to stand up to China, our most formidable adversary is
2: dangerous
0: and unacceptable.
3: Another lawmaker took aim at Biden's response to the Chinese spy balloon. He conveniently forgot about Chinese spy balloons uh, that dominated the news cycle for the last week. And Senator Josh Hawley said Biden's comments on China fell flat, contrasted with actions he has taken against the country. He told Fox News that actions speak louder than words and described Biden's approach towards China so far as very weak. He also called Biden's words on China during the speech, quote, totally inadequate given the current geopolitical tensions.
0: A French company with close ties to Beijing, snapping up control of port terminals across the U.S. A new deal involves the largest port on the East Coast. But what's at stake and what leverage is the U.S. handing to the foreign buyer? NTD's Juliet Song has the details
4: a foothold in the third-largest port in America. A French company linked to Chinese Communist regime is now buying two terminals in a major port, called the Port of New York and New Jersey. It serves a population of over 46 million. Christopher O'Day is an expert on ports and infrastructure finance. He warns handing control of a critical port to a buyer with deep ties to Chinese state-owned companies could pose a long-term threat to America.
5: Throughout history, countries really haven't turned over the operation of their ports to adversarial countries. That's what connects things to the global supply chain. So if you're you're controlling that port, that's a strategically very important position.
4: The French buyer is called CMA CGM. It has been investing in terminals across the U.S. It has stakes in terminals in Los Angeles, Alaska, Houston, and Miami. But the company is also heavily financed by Chinese state-owned companies.
5: They have a joint venture uh, in, their, in their terminal business, uh, which is a, a separate unit from its shipping company. And, and that's uh, 49% owned by a company called China Merchants, which is another Chinese state-owned entity.
4: And the financial ties don't end there.
5: Then in 2015, China exim Bank, uh, extended approximately a $1 billion uh, in, in U.S. dollar terms of, of financing credits and, and uh, financial support to CMACGM.
4: The Chinese state has full control over this bank. So what leverage does a company get once they take certain control of a port or certain terminals inside a port? He explained that operating a port is no simple matter. For it to run smoothly, it needs to be plugged into the local infrastructure system.
5: You are working with the local officials all the time about major uh, economic and financial decisions about where to put electricity lines, where to put highways, where where to put train lines. You now have a seat at the table where political and economic decisions are, are made.
4: Influence aside, O'Day said ports can provide nearly perfect cover for cyber espionage.
5: So you've got a lot of information coming through a port on on uh, digital communication networks, and there are ample ways that you can assign uh, personnel that you can uh, plug in various various elect, you know, electronic and, and you know kind of cyber listening posts.
4: He noted, even though that's not a direct threat to national security,
5: but it gives you a much better picture over who who's buying what, where things are going. Uh, and and just can, again control control of supplies, which uh, could be uh, useful, uh, very useful, if you wanted to disrupt those supplies.
4: And if the U.S. were to get into a conflict with China over Taiwan or disputes over the South China Sea, the situation could be leveraged.
5: What if the Chinese stop sending their vessels to those terminals that they control? They don't want to let them load goods in China or Asia ports that China controls and, and bring them to Los Angeles or New York or Long Beach, you know, you you, you could see uh, you, you could see a disruption in essential supplies.
4: Here's an example. In the early days of the COVID nineteen pandemic, China threatened to cut off medical supplies to America following Washington's criticism of Beijing.
5: The Chinese said, you know, you, you need you need a lot of pharmaceuticals and things from us. That's the ultimate economic and political lever that, that they have by acquiring all of these ports.
4: NTD reached out to CMA CGM for comment, but did not immediately receive a reply. Now, Chinese companies hold stakes in almost 100 ports around the world, and Chinese military ships have made port calls in over 30 of them. And it seems Beijing's plan doesn't stop at ports. China has also been increasing its control over global shipping lanes.
5: The world's shipping, container shipping lines are organized into three uh, large alliances.
4: And one of them is controlled by China's state-owned company, Costco. He said there's a chance Beijing could weaponize its control of the trade logistics network.
5: If you control the the product manufacturing and the distribution over the ocean routes, and you also control the terminals where the goods are uh, delivered to to the end market, that gives you a, a significant level of control over supply lines.
4: O'Day urges the U.S. to restore its ability to move its own goods.
5: There needs to be a reliable source of global ocean transportation that is not subject to leverage or, or pressure through um, embargo threats or market access threats that the Chinese could do to uh, most of the other uh, uh, countries. Uh, so that, that that is a, a major strategic gap.
4: He added, it's a multi-decade approach, but at the moment, he doesn't see an appetite for the strategy. Juliet Song, NTD News.
0: NTD reached out to a U.S. government agency for comment about the deal. The agency is called the CFIUS. It's part of the Treasury Department and reviews foreign investment deals in the U.S. A spokesperson from the Treasury Department told NTD that the agency does not publicly comment on transactions that it may or may not be evaluating. India is banning more than 200 foreign-based apps. The programs offer illegal gambling and loan services, and most of them have ties to China. Based on multiple media reports, India's Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology has launched the process to ban 138 gambling apps and 94 loan lending apps. They allegedly contain materials harmful to India's sovereignty. Authorities said these apps were operated by offshore entities, including Chinese, and that they pose a threat to India's economic stability. India's Home Affairs Ministry prompted the ban. That's after it probed reports of suicides related to the apps. It also received complaints that users were harassed after failing to repay loans from the apps. India has banned 267 Chinese apps in summer 2020, including TikTok, Baidu and WeChat work. The ministry has yet to reveal the names of the latest round of blocked apps. And coming up, we zoom in on U.S.-China relations following President Biden's State of the Union speech. Has the Chinese balloon changed our approach? And what should our China policy look like going forward? We hear from Steve Yates, former Deputy National Security Advisor at the White House, for his thoughts. That and more in just a minute here on China In Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Next, we zoom in on the State of the Union. While President Biden didn't name the balloon incident directly, he indirectly touched on the incident, plus the Taiwan issue and more. We sat down with Steve Yates, former Deputy National Security Advisor at the White House, to get details on what this means for U.S.-China relations. Steve Yates, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: So zooming in on President Biden's State of the Union speech, it seems one of the biggest surprises was how little China made it in or the balloon incident. He never actually used the word balloon, but he did touch on the incident, saying we made it very clear to China. So what's your take on all of this?
1: Well, number one, uh, State of the Unions typically will have a heavy emphasis on domestic political issues. Uh, So uh, I think it was even under those circumstances very short shrift by President Biden in talking about national security and foreign affairs, borderline stunning that the southern border and then China only got almost 30 seconds to a minute mention. Uh, in the entire state of the union that went for an hour and 20 minutes. So It was kind of astonishing that way. Uh, you're correct. He didn't directly address the balloon. He sort of alluded to it, though, saying if China were to challenge our sovereignty, I would respond, and I did. Uh, the problem is he didn't complete that thought and answer in some form of accountability for, I did after the balloon completed its entire multi-day mission going across the continental United States, and only after it exited to the Atlantic did I down the balloon. Uh, So a lot of questions, a lot of, I think, rightful skepticism about what really happened and why. And I think, uh, unfortunately, it shows a little bit of weakness. Uh, in terms of protecting American sovereignty, our homeland. Uh, It doesn't really matter what was on the balloon, if it was doing visual surveillance. Obviously, the ability to carry something like that across our territory is deeply provocative.
0: And Steve, sticking with the balloon incident, what's your view on if that changed Biden's approach to China? It seems some were predicting that Biden was going to be tougher on China in his speech. We maybe saw a little bit of that in the speech, but what's your thoughts on that?
1: To be honest, I can't tell you what Biden's approach to China is. If he had spent more time talking about what that approach was to the Congress and to the American people last night, Xi Jinping has proven by his actions that he doesn't shy away from conflict. He sent his wolf warriors to bark Different criticisms at his Secretary of State, National Security Advisor. He crushed Hong Kong with impunity. He has threatened Taiwan somewhat with impunity from the United States. The president has spoken up, but there's a lot of ambiguity in what the United States is prepared to do about it. And then on the homeland, it's not at all clear that the that President Biden places that this as a high priority. A majority of Americans, like in 60% or above do not approve of the president's handling of China. I think the balloon incident exacerbated that for him.
0: And you mentioned Taiwan there briefly, Steve, and I want to get your comments on this one part of the speech where Biden was saying on modernizing our military to safeguard stability and deter aggression. How do you read that? Was that in regards to Taiwan or what are your thoughts? I think it has
1: to be looked at in terms of China first and foremost, and so it would be appropriate to a Taiwan Strait crisis. Uh, But it's, it's kind of an odd signal to send, given that deterrence clearly failed in Europe. NATO failed to deter Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, The outcome of that sad episode is yet to be written, so we have to see, what does it really mean? Uh, Was he emphasizing that to convey something to Russia? Was it a signal to Iran where there's some mixed signals, or was it primarily focused at China? Clearly, our allies have a lot of questions, but our adversaries aren't necessarily getting a clear signal either. uh, And China. China continues to be on the march.
0: And expanding on that point, Steve, where do you see the U.S.-China relation going forward after the speech, what little we got from that, and also after the balloon incident?
1: I just don't see it going anywhere good. There's a, a pretty deep economic relationship that has a lot of dependencies. I think that the majority of Americans and a lot of the rest of the world are looking to either slowly or more quickly decouple or safe shore or diversify their dependency relationships. It's unlikely that China will lose a lot of that manufacturing in an instant, but clearly that's the direction people are looking and moving in some cases, just a question of pace and direction. China is doing its own strategic decoupling after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They saw the kitchen sink of financial sanctions and otherwise that were put towards Russia, and they're trying to insulate themselves against the future possibility of that being aimed at them. And so in some ways, if you just take reciprocity as a principle, as I do, I think that we need to right-size U.S.-China policy to be consistent with what they're doing with us. They don't allow us to to own agricultural land in China, and so they shouldn't be allowed to own agricultural land in the United States. Uh, They control access to their markets and their platforms, and they force transparency. Well, we should do the same. Uh, And so I think there's a lot of right-sizing that has to happen. I don't see the Biden administration doing more than lip service on that. President Biden talked about Made in America a lot, but his policies have left us much further from that objective than his rhetoric would suggest.
0: And Steve, on that note, it seems more and more states are taking action in their own states, so whether that's TikTok or buying up U.S. farmland. But going forward, what would a good China policy look like?
1: Well, I do think we see now organically a proper approach toward dealing with China and the Communist Party of China in America growing organically from the grassroots up through the states. Uh, There's a lot that can and should be done by governors and legislatures. Uh, I was recently in South Dakota with Governor Kristi Noem, who has a proposal to protect ag land. Uh, and it proposes a, a committee somewhat like the federal CFIUS process that looks at investments coming into the United States. But that federal system has failed states. And so, Governor Noam has put forward, I think, the first of its kind. And I think other states will follow. But there are many states that are passing laws to ban particular CCP activities or investments. And I think, as the states aggregate those moves, the federal government, by way of the Congress, will be forced to, to accomplish. Too.
0: Steve Yates, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.